We want to read our scripture lessons today. Our Old Testament text is Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 through 35. Background. King Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream. He knows it's important. He wants to know what it means. So he sends to all of his wise counselors and soothsayers and all the other people there to say, come and tell me the dream and its interpretation. They say it's impossible. Tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They say, we can't. So he says, kill them all. Wipe them out. Well, among the guys who are going to get wiped out are Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't, they're not their name yet, but that's who it is. And so Daniel says, hey, hold on. Give us time to pray. And they pray and they seek the Lord. And the Lord reveals to Daniel both the dream and its interpretation to tell to Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and that's what we'll read about today. And he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says he has the answer. So listen here to God's word. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, that is, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, <clears throat> there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. <clears throat> but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth." Amen. Our first New Testament text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> As is his custom, when Paul begins writing an epistle, a letter like this, he gives some broad generalities that declare the greatness of God and what God's doing to this people. And while he may come back later on and say all kinds of things about them that they need to touch up on, he needs to Let's establish first who you are and how it is you are who you are. So that's what he does here with the Corinthians. Listen here again to God's word. Paul, 
called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who are in every place, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Then our primary text today is from the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, the first three verses. Listen here to God's Word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows all things and who communicates knowledge to us, to people. Thank you, Lord God, that uh, you've put things in a patterns and made laws and rules so that we can investigate and find out how things work. We thank you, Lord God, that you've also revealed and given to your people the knowledge of the plan of how you save a sinful people sinful individuals from their sin so they can stand in right relationship to you. Oh, Lord, what a marvel, what a wonder. So, Lord, we pray that today you would continue that good work of unrolling before us your plans, your purposes, that we may be encouraged, we may be taught, we may be corrected, and, Lord, we may be helped on our way as we walk this pilgrim pathway from this life to the life eternal. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone wants to know what the future holds, right? Everyone would like to know how's it all going to end, what's going to go on. And depending on who you read or who you trust, and what they tell you the future is going to be like, it could fill you full of fears or give you great eager anticipation. Now, here's a, a, a story. Herb's going to put it up there. From 1971, uh, from the Washington Post. Now, most of you were not alive in 1971 because you're young like me. But uh, for those who were, back in 71, the Washington Post had this headline, U.S. Scientist Sees New Ice Age Coming. Oh, my. An ice age is coming. He said that within five to ten years, a new ice age would be triggered and that within 50 years, that would be two years from now, within 50 years, 
we'd all be frozen up. How about that? If you were alive in 71, that sort of scared you. <clears throat> now, a few years later, 1974, listen to this. This is from The Guardian over in, in, in London. It says, uh, but it's reporting on a Columbia University study that said that space satellites show new ice age coming fast. Oh my goodness. Here you all are in shorts. That's what it said. <clears throat> uh, and it's coming not just from some, you know, some flamboyant place. Columbia University. You know, that's, that predates the revolution. Goes back a ways. That's what they said. Now, 15 years later, here's another headline. Rising seas could obliterate nations, UN officials. So in 15 years, they changed their mind. And now the headlines say what the future's going to be. The, it, it's going to melt everything, and water's going to rise, and nations are going to be flooded. In fact, the Maldives, the Maldives Island, uh, they won't exist anymore because they'll be covered over with water. There's one story, I don't know if I put that one up there, but it'll, it'll <clears throat> talk about how someone said, well, will New York traffic be the same? He says, well, no, it'll be a lot different because Broadway will be more clouded or Fifth Avenue because the East Highway will be underwater. So there'll be a lot more traffic here because the sea is going to rise. And now, that was 15 years ago, since 1989 or something like that. 2013, here's, what, here's the headline. U.S. Navy predicts summer ice-free Arctic by 2016. That is, during the summer months, the Arctic oceans, the caps, would be ice-free. And so all the waters are going to rise. And Philadelphia is going to be inundated or whatever. They said by 2016, hey, we're in 2019. And guys are still going up there and hunting polar bears or doing whatever they do up in the Arctic. I don't know. Uh, thank you, Herb, very much. You can take that down. Alarmism sells. You know, ring the bells. Alarmism, it sells. The current alarms about climate change are par for the course. Just so you're aware of that. Let me calm your fevered brow. <laughs> All these concerns about climate change are just part and parcel of what's gone on for decades. Well, alarmism sells in the Christian world as well. Some of the largest selling Christian books in recent memory are alarmist. I'll give you an example. In the 1970s, the highest selling non-fiction book was a Christian book by a guy named Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth. Hallelujah, I read it. It scared the hell out of me and I got converted. Literally. Drove me back to the Bible. Now, it was mostly wrong. I can remember that. It said that Christ would return most likely by 1988. There were reasons he said that. And man, I, I heard that. And, whoo, and everyone else heard it too. It sold between 20 and 30 million copies. The largest selling nonfiction book in America in the 1970s. More recently, 
We've had the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and uh, Jerry Jenkins. It sold over 80 million copies. And again, the, the attraction there is the alarmism. What's going to happen in our world now? Is Christ about to return? And if he is, what's it going to look like around that time? And we had heightened expectations. Well, uh, today, we're going to look at the book of Revelation a little bit, and we will for the next little while. But the book of Revelation figures hugely in all these things, and all this alarmist uh, literature that we read from Christian texts. So you find the Antichrist. Now, for those of you who are really old, Barbara, it'd be interesting to hear your mom talk about, well, who all did you think the Antichrist was during your lifetime? Well, Mussolini is. Uh, Henry Kissinger, he's the Antichrist. Uh, uh, Gorbachev, he's the Antichrist. You know, and, and all these scenarios go on like, it. Well, well, who is it? They're all wrong. Now, I've not kept up on this, but I, undoubtedly, someone has said Donald Trump is the Antichrist. I would think. If not, you're missing a good shot at it. He makes a good caricature. And if you don't want to do it, Barack Obama make a great Antichrist figure. So, you know, these things go round and round like that. Authors wrote the same story. Now, I'm talking about Christian authors, people we respect. And all, they didn't change the story, they just changed the characters. And sold a new book, same story, so they just changed the characters, literally. What about the millennium and the return of Christ? Are you a premillennialist, amillennialist, or postmillennialist? That is, does Christ return before the millennium, or is there no literal millennium and he returns, or is there, does he come after the millennium? Uh, you know, the premillennials have dominated for the last 150 years, but that's changing. Did you hear this, this summer the Evangelical Free Church uh, meeting in its annual convention? They changed their statement of faith. Their statement of faith said about the return of Christ, they believe in the premillennial return of Christ. They took out premillennial and put in glorious. We believe in the glorious return of Christ. Uh, we have a Buxbond Coalition for Evangelism Pastors Group that meets last year. Now there's maybe anywhere from 50 to 25 of us that meet at a time, uh, any given month. And we were, I forget where we were, we were talking. And here are some guys who are hardcore Baptists, Ethel, if you can believe that, hardcore Baptists. And the guy says, you know, I'm an amillennialist. Oh my goodness. A Baptist that's an amillennialist? Almost never heard of. Uh, my own experience is that people I respect, both in the past and in the present, when I say past, I mean the back in you know, 300, 400, 600, 1600, people in the past and in the present who I respect have been very wrong on these issues. I have been very wrong. I've told you about that. I told Bill Benner, who's in the Briarleaf now. I told him back in the late, uh, maybe 85 or 86, something like that. I told him, he said, well, he used to come way early to church, like 45 minutes early to the old church, and I talked to him. He said, well, John, tell me, uh, when do you think Christ is going to return? I said, well, Bill, I don't really know, but I would think it's between 1994 and 2004. That's what I would say. I was wrong, right? Yes, I was wrong, hallelujah. I'm glad to be wrong. Because if you don't acknowledge that you're wrong, you can't be corrected, you can't get right, all right? That's where you're gonna go. Uh, 
I've been burned and burned out on end time scenarios. When am I going to hear again about, well, they have a red heifer. They had a red heifer back in the 1980s. Over in Israel, ready for the temple to be rebuilt, and they're going to sacrifice it, and Christ is going to return. Well, that red heifer done died. You're getting ready to hear, there's going to be a, a blood moon, a triple blood moon, and Christ is going to come, or something's going to happen. You get all this heightened expectations, and then goes out. So I've been burning <laughs> and burned out on that. My wife and I have the particular devotional that we use. You read through the Bible uh, at least twice or once in two years. You read through the New Testament in, uh, every year. And whenever we come to read Revelation, oh my goodness, Revelation. Don't understand it. It confuses me. But it's on our list. We're going to read it. Am I being honest? She'll, you can ask her after church. But, oh my goodness, read Revelation. Well, folks, we're going to preach through Revelation, starting today. The Lord will. I'm going from verse 1 all the way to through the end of chapter 22. Not today. <laughs> Not today. We're going to start today with three verses, okay, just, just so you understand that, that such is the case. Now, <clears throat> here's what you need to know. God wants you, wants us to be interested in the future and what's going to happen. That's a right, legitimate, and good desire on your part, on my part, to know. A great example is Nebuchadnezzar. Herb, put up that first verse here, if you would, please. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. Well, hello, that's what we've just been talking about. He was on his bed. He was meditating. Who knows what he was doing? And who, he who reveals mystery has made known to you what will take place. Nebuchadnezzar is not rebuked for his desire to know the future. He says, you need to know this. In fact, God comes and shows him something. So we need to understand that. Uh, he wants us to know that. This is good. Now, he had no clue. He had this dream, this vision, whatever it was. He had that. And he wanted an authoritative answer. He thought he had an authoritative dream from God. And so he threatens him and does all these things to the people, makes impossible demands. Tell me both the dream and its interpretation. I want to know it's from God. And no one can. Like we said, so Daniel says, let's pray to his friends. They prayed. Go ahead and put the next verse up, Herb, if you would. <clears throat> As for you, O king, while on your bed, no, no, yeah, yeah. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known, got that? He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days, or the marginal reading, the literal reading is the end of days. Uh, Daniel acknowledges this has not come by virtue of his great intellect and his great thinking, right? So it's not because of any wisdom that resides in me that this has happened. Uh, it's by an unveiling of God. He's lifted the, the veil off my face and allowed me to see things that wouldn't ordinarily be seen. And by the end of days, he means the end of days that there's no further revelation of the unfolding of who God is. The final revelation of God is going to come in these latter days. Uh, so the last days, people will talk about last days. The last days began with Jesus Christ. We just preached through Hebrews this summer. 
How does he, Hebrews begin? It begins with how all the things God told us. In these last days, He has spoken to us in Jesus Christ, His Son. In these last days. You'll find that in the, in the New Testament, the last days refer to, to from Christ on. Because there's no further revelation. All before this, there had been a revelation of Noah, revelation of Abraham, Moses, etc. But now in Christ, the revelation is finished. He shows He's the exact representation of God's nature. He shows he is God. He shows what's going on. Now, the revelation given to Nebuchadnezzar, which Daniel interprets, is this. Uh, how about verses 32 and 33? He says, Here's what you saw. Now, we didn't read all this. It says, The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. That's what he saw. Uh, now, we learn later on, he'll tell him, well, you know, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. Babylon is. The Medes and Persians are the breast and the arms of silver. Uh, the uh, Greeks are the stomach and the thighs. And then the Romans are the clay and iron part, the, the feet and the legs. That's, he says that in the interpretation. We didn't read all that, but you can read it in the text if you want to. Uh, and so there's this statue, but it represents the greatest kingdoms of the world. Ones that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar can identify with in some way. So what happens? Go ahead with the next verse. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Crushed all the statue. Uh, uh, it's another kingdom. It crushes the others. How does it crush them? Show the next verse, please. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed at the same time. That means all in the same way. Greece empire did not fall when the Babylonian empire fell. It all fell the same way and became like chaff from the, of the silver from the threshing floors was blown away. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now remember what Nebuchadnezzar was asking for, what he was wondering about. What's the future? What's going to be? And God says, you're right to ask. I'm going to show you what it is. And this is it. That stone grew and grew and filled the whole earth. Now my suggestion by preaching my proclamation to you is that stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom. That's what's represented there. That's, what, that's what's meant to see. There is no further revelation than Christ. He's the one. And every form of government, everything that's that way, all that will be struck by him and come to nothing. But his kingdom will continue to grow and grow and grow. And that's been true since he came. Even though in various sections of the world it may pull back, other places it grows, the overall thing, the net is growing. Now, we wish it were done in two years, right? Well, it's been 2,000 years. It's not done yet. But that stone continues to grow. Uh, how about the next verse, 44? In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Did you hear that? In the days of those kings, that is the days of the Romans, where it hit the, the, the feet. In those days... The God of heaven 
will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will crush and put it into all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. That's why Paul writes that while our citizenship is here, in some way, our real citizenship is in heaven. It's the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, that's true for you as well. We read the letter to Diognetus this morning in confirmation. It says that while we live here as natives in this land, yet we're native, really, our home country is heaven, the kingdom of God. Uh, <clears throat> now, as I said, this dream, this picture that was given to Nebuchadnezzar is an overview of history from A.D. 0 till the end of time. That's what that is. And you think about it. God wants us to know that. He wants us to be confident and expectant. Christ's kingdom will not be thwarted, will not be pushed down, will not be eradicated. It will grow and it will endure. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner. This stone here, don't let it fall on you or it'll crush you, but you should fall on it. And this image of stone comes up again and again and again in the gospel, in the New Testament, in the, the Bible, period. So now we want to turn to the revelation of revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how it begins, the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You can take that one down, we'll get to the next one in a little bit. Just hold on. Uh, well, it's okay, you leave it here, that's fine. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now the question becomes, is that the revelation that Jesus gave to someone to say something? Or is that the revelation of who He is? And our answer is it's both. This whole book is going to be a revelation given by the Lord Jesus Christ to His church, to His people, to seven churches in particular, but to the rest of us as well. He's going to give that. So it's a revelation of Jesus Christ given to us, but it's a revelation about Him, the testimony of Jesus. And all the things that we'll see there <coughs> will point to Christ in a right and good way. Now here's the point that I had verse 3 put up here. Blessed is He who Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. Now, prophecy means that it's not happened yet, right? Isn't that what prophecy means? I, I can prophesy who's going to win the 2017 Super Bowl. You laugh about that, but I'll show you a minute how that's pertinent to what we're doing here. It says it's prophecy. Jesus says, this is prophecy. These are things that have not yet happened yet. Well, when will they happen then? And that's the crucial question. Uh, let's put up the next slide, if you would, Herb. The things, this is verse 1, the things which must soon take place. That's from Jesus Christ to his people, says, must soon take place. That word occurs seven times in the New Testament. Each time... Well, go ahead and put it the next slide. It shows what this word is. It's takos. It occurs seven times. And it's always with a time or chronological issue. It's not some mystical thing. 
It's time and chronology. It says these things must take place soon. Uh, and there at the very beginning. It's a prophecy, but not a prophecy necessarily from way out yonder, but things which must happen soon. Now, let's look at verse 3. The way that this particular section is, for the time is near. No, within two verses you have, <laughs> it's repeated. The time is near. Now, let's show what, what the word is that's used there. It's a goose. <clears throat> there we are. It occurs 31 times in the New Testament, always with a sense of proximity of time or proximity of location. For instance, it's near Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is near Jerusalem. Proximity, right? Or the feast of the Passover was near. Time, chronology, close by. Wasn't going to be a long time. So, every time that you find this word used, the 31 times in the New Testament, it always has a sense of proximity, of closeness, either in time or in space. Uh, both those same words are used again in chapter 22, the end of the, ver- end of the, end of the Revelation. You'll say, these are things which must soon take place. These are things that are very near. You'll find it in 22.6 and 22.10. <clears throat> now, so when... <laughs> When was Revelation written? That's the crucial question. Most people today opt for the early 80s, 90s. That is, about 60 years after Jesus was crucified. Uh, I assumed that was the case too because that was what I was taught. No more. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe that, well, well, why not? Well, I read through Revelation and I can see and read about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And those things happened two decades before 90. Now, liberal scholarship has taken that and run with it. Remember what I said that I could, I could prophesy, write a prophecy about who's going to win the 2017 Super Bowl? Liberal theologians say that Revelation is a book that was written after the fact, pointing back, pretending to be a prophecy, and showing what really happened. They say the same thing about Daniel, by the way, too, and other prophecies. We don't believe that. We believe a genuine, legitimate prophecy about something that's not happened yet. It may be far off, Daniel later is far off, or it may be near, but it's something that's not happened yet is what was my understanding. Uh, Now, You can show the next slide if you would, Herb. Even in evangelical camps, good people get sucked in by this, I think. This is George Eldon Ladd. He's he's dead now, but a great, wonderful man, Christian man. Here's what he wrote. These events are soon to take place. These words have troubled commentators. Well, that's true. (laughs) If this was written in AD 90 or 91 or 92, well, this soon stuff, it troubles them, right? Rightly so, because where after 1890 did these things happen? It shows in, in Revelation. And in a soon way, it said these words have troubled commentators. The simplest solution is like the entire early Christian community and think the coming of the Lord was near. When in fact, they were wrong. Our Lord himself seems to share this error. In, this is in writing. It's in a book. 
Our Lord seems Himself to share this error in perspective in the saying, this generation will not pass away before all these things take place. And I'll show you where, where that's found. And so you make null and void what Christ has said and say He was mistaken. You should read Albert Schweitzer on this, the great humanitarian who he lost his faith over that. Uh, well, again, we preached through Matthew and we know what the, all of that discourse is about, that it was pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem when Jesus said it. This generation will not pass away. We understand that. That is clear. <clears throat> this book, Revelation, and I would say the entire New Testament was written prior to A.D. 70. I've thought that for a number, number of decades now. Uh, everything was in the New Testament was written before A.D. 70. Now, that doesn't mean it was compiled as, a, as the New Testament. That's not going to happen for another 150, 200 years. But all the books of the New Testament were written before the fall of Jerusalem. Now, here's another uh, guy who, who wrote something. What's the next one? This is by Doug Kelly. He's a professor. He's been at a number of seminaries, most recently at Reformed Seminary in Charlotte, I think. Uh, he's emeritus. Now, he says, the historical Christian church, for the most part, until the 1830s, believed that much, though not all, of what is predicted in Revelation was fulfilled about 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple burned and the Jews were scattered out of their land. You can go through Revelation and look at specific things that Jesus told John would happen to the persecutors of the church and see that many of them happened in 70 AD. To me, that makes perfect sense. And again, he's not some off-the-wall guy. He's not out. He's a He's an old college professor, seminary professor. You know, and how boring they are. Any professors in here? Uh, and, and, and that's what he, what he says. Uh, he says, many have thought so, but the last 150 years has not been so much, but more so now. Well, here's my, my thinking to you and me. Let's get blessed. All right? That's the title of the sermon. Let's get blessed. Uh, what does verse 3 say? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, my understanding of Revelation is that it's prophetic in terms of some of the things, most of the things written there were soon to happen within a matter of a few years. Some of the things, and those things that happened in a few years, nonetheless, they are meant to show and teach us things about the Christian life. Just like the epistle to 1 Corinthians was written to them, and made, made sense to them, but it still applies to us. You understand? So there's an ideal way in which the things he's prophesying that happened there will apply to us. And I believe that Revelation has a still prophetic role. It tells us about things that shall happen at the end of the age when Christ comes again. So that's my understanding of how we get blessed. Uh, not many people have experienced the blessing of Revelation. I'm praying that we will. That's, that's my prayer over the next number of months. We work our way through that. Pray we'll, we'll be blessed. As I read, as you hear, as we do this, we'll be blessed. Now, let's look at the thing from 1 Corinthians. Uh, 
It says, you were enriched in him, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. And we'll find out that word testimony is going to be used all the time. The testimony, who is Jesus? Remember when, when they got to, uh, uh, I forget if it was Thessalonica or someplace else, they said, you know, those guys who, who, who say there's another king, Jesus. That's the testimony of Jesus, that he's the rock, he's the stone, he's the king. His kingdom endures, it's going to live forever. It's going to grow, it's going to fill the earth. They upturned the whole world. You were enriched in him even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed to you, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the final return of Christ. We long for that. We want that. How many of you have cried this week? Have you cried this week? I've cried this week. Have you been, uh, have you sinned this week? Yes, I've sinned this week. I'm eagerly anticipating the return of Christ because I won't cry anymore and I won't sin anymore. Hallelujah. Right? So I eagerly await that. I want that. But he's in charge. He has a plan. He knows what's going on. He wants us to hear that. He says, it's good to you to think about the future. Now, this is all complicated stuff, right? You're all a little apprehensive. Oh, no, our preacher's going off the deep end. He's going to preach through Revelation. And who knows what he'll say or what he won't say. He'll say, guys who come to church late wearing shorts and flip-flops should be burned. No, 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 no. <laughs> I can say that to Josh. He's my friend. At least he was my friend. I don't know. I want you to, I want to, I want to close this, this sermon by having you, I don't have one up here, I don't think, boogers. Uh, take out your, your blue laminated sheet that has the, the apostles and Nicene Creed on Take it out. I'm going to go get one. Well, I won't step down there. Whew. Oh, thank you. You got it out? Wave it. I want to see if you got it out. Hooray, you're all obedient. Turn to the side that has the Nicene Creed on it. Here's what we confess. Here's what the church has believed and always believes and we believe. Uh, the big paragraph in the middle, the fourth line from the bottom says, he sits on the right hand of the Father, and here's what we believe. He shall come again with glory. We believe that. We confess that. To judge the living and the dead. We believe that. He's coming to be judgment. Next one. Whose kingdom shall have no end. Didn't we just read and talk about that? Isn't that what he showed Daniel or to give to Nebuchadnezzar? <coughs> Excuse me. Now look at the very last two lines. I look for the resurrection of the dead. We do. I'm looking forward to that. that. That day when the dead in Christ are raised, all comes back and there we are. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That's what Revelation's about. Helping us do that. And so, let's pray for one another that we'll read, we'll heed, and we'll be blessed by God. Amen.